0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled dot lcom slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to Nick Pollock and Friends, where
1: I talk to people I know and who you should know. Today's guest you might not believe it, but I actually met this guest in person because of a mutual friend who happens to also be a wonderful journalist at The Wall Street Journal. His name is Jared Diamond. Jared, thanks so much for being here.
2: It's great to be here. You know, I'm just, I'm in awe that from that first meeting, what you've done since. You're a celebrity <laughs> now. You were Oh, get out of here, Jared. First
1: that is, no, not not in the slightest. Um, I, I remember this so distinctly. Um... If you didn't know, uh, Ian Gus, I uh, went to Brandeis with me. He's part of WBRS. And uh, I remember he had a birthday about, what, four years
2: ago, three years ago? Yeah. Something like that. Time and, has no meaning anymore. Right.
1: <laughs> Sounds about right. And I remember seeing on Facebook, you know, some people had said they were going, I was like, oh, who's going to go to this? And then I saw Jared Diamond. And I was, I was completely, I was just confused. I, was, I thought it was on Twitter for a second. I didn't recognize anything, and fortunately, yeah, you, uh, you knew Ian growing up, growing up, and I got to meet you in person there. It was really fun. I saw you, of course, at their wedding as well, um, talking about what you were doing, and yeah, it's been this wonderful, wonderful coincidence uh, to have known you now for, what, five years,
2: I guess? That's I know. I it's thought. crazy. It's been a long... I actually did not know Ian growing up, by the way, just to correct oh, really? the record, for when Ian listens to this, that he doesn't, because <laughs> uh, he will call me out, or you, if it's correct. It's all my uh, fault. Adam Rosen, another mutual friend, mm. is who I has been one of you know, my closest friend really since we were about in first grade. And there I met go. Ian through Adam. So that Wonderful. just just correcting the record on that so neither Adam nor Ian comes to you later and gets upset. <laughs>
1: I'm glad you did, because Adam Rosen deserves that too. I um, worked with Stratomatic, which a lot of you listening, I'm sure, know of. Adam was uh, working with them for a long time too, so he probably had some influence in some of your lives as well there. Uh, but yeah, the whole Brandeis crew, Michael Weil as well, uh, Steve Sassmore, Uh They're Are all. we
2: wonderful. just gonna play Jewish geography for? Yeah, let's just minutes. do it. Why not? Yes, we can. I mean, no problem.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but anyway, so so Jared, I wanted you to first to really you know tell everybody your story very quickly, what you do, how they can find you right now.
2: Absolutely. Uh, So I I work at the Wall Street Journal. I am closing in, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, on my 11th anniversary of starting at the Wall Street Journal, which is completely insane. It'll be 11 years next month in January. I've been covering baseball for nine. I just finished my ninth season full-time covering baseball the journal which makes me one year shy of hall of fame vote eligibility although i am not allowed to vote for the hall of fame by wall street journal policies so i won't be able to vote even That's when i bad. get the 10 years yeah so we're not the only place uh, the new york times the washington post the los angeles times are among other news outlets that prohibit uh their writers from participating in elections like the hall of fame or mvp or heisman trophy things like that uh So that's what I do. Uh, I do a few other things as well. Um, I wrote a book uh, about baseball. Uh, My first book, it came out at the perfectly timed uh, (laughs) date of March 30th, 2020, which which seemed like a great choice of day when we picked it in 2018. Right. Uh, Turned out not to be so great in hindsight, but... I like to think that everyone had plenty of time to read books uh, in March and April of 2020.
1: <laughs> I remember, you know, putting in my calendar to go to the uh, the book reading uh, that you had. I was really excited for this, you know, in person. Yes, I had
2: a big, all my events got canceled. There was supposed to be a oh. a big launch party at the Strand Bookstore here right. in New York. And I had events planned in like three or four different other states, various bookstores around sort of the Northeast, in Massachusetts, and Pennsylvania, and in my current home state of New Jersey, uh, a few other places, I ended up not doing an in-person book event until July 2021, well over a year after the release, when finally I was able to participate in a live bookstore event in Denver. Uh, over the all-star week or all-star weekend for baseball oh, this past year took yeah. that long yeah so that was a bit of a bummer but nonetheless still a great experience and i also uh teach um, a college i teach a journalism class an undergraduate journalism class as well at a manhattan college in the bronx oh that's So great. that's my uh my my long list of things i do yeah. and <laughs> uh, and what's your twitter handle as well just at Jared Diamond, uh, J A R E D Diamond, like baseball Diamond, uh, that I have the perfect job. Apparently, I was—I always say I was born uh, into this job. There actually is a <laughs> word for this when your name uh, is like your job, but I always forget what it is. But there is, there is a, there is actually a word for there is actually a word for that. Um, I think huh. it's called an an aptronym. Or an aptonym. Hey, I don't know. Lindsay You're, you're the
1: one he, at uh, Wall Street Journal. You would know the, this. Lindsay
2: Adler, uh, who I'm sure your listeners know of some of them, uh, great Yankee beat writer for the athletic, she is the one that introduced this to me years ago and finds it very amusing. And I thought it was such an interesting word, uh aptronym, that I've I've now stashed that little piece of trivia away. Well, um, I mean he was either uselessly. It's either
1: baseball writing or being a jeweler, and I think it's the right one.
2: I learn a lot about people in general based on what their response is when they hear my name. Uh, If they bring up the jewelry store, uh, that's one group. The jewelry store, Jared, the Galleria of Jewelry. Oh, of course! How did I not even make that connection? To which I have no relationship. Uh, (laughs) Then you have the uh, you know the the overly educated who will bring up the other Jared Diamond, the the author and famed anthropology professor and scholar. Uh, I'm often asked if I'm related to him. I am not. Uh, That other Jared Diamond who wrote Guns, Germs, and Steel is 84 years old. Uh, We have no relation. He he was in the New York Times crossword puzzle a couple of days ago. Uh, As we're recording this, it was earlier this week. And the and the the clue was something like blank diamond like author. So I was like, could be talking about me, but I'm pretty sure it's not.
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was you actually. You know, I, I put in a good word. I made some phone calls just for you, Jared. Thank uh, you. I appreciate it. Uh, and, and by it. the way, for, for everyone listening, yes, I did not know this author as well, so don't feel bad about it. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. I, but, uh, but, but Jared, I, I mean, there's so many different threads I want to ask you about. Um, it's, it's, you know, you're saying 11 years of the wall street journal is incredible. Um, you've also created swing Kings, fantastic book. Um, and I definitely want to talk about not just that book, but also the process of making one. Cause that from the outside, it just seems you know so impossible. We don't really know what those steps are to making something like that and actually, you know, creating a, a book and knowing two years out, okay, I got to have a, I have a book that goes out on March 30th, 2020. Um, so, so I want to hear all about that. Stuff. But first, I mean, mm-hmm. let's talk about the process. Did you always, were you planning to be a writer for for a while? I mean, if you're doing this now for 11 years, you must have jumped in the field rather early.
2: Yeah, this was this was really my dream job for pretty much as long as I've had a dream job. Uh, I've long wanted to to be a journalist my first sort of journalism experience, I guess you could call it that. Maybe this should, would have, should have been a sign in hindsight, but in around the third or fourth grade, I would uh, type up a little sports, mostly baseballs sort or of newsletter, I suppose you would call it. It was just like a sheet of paper that I would very slowly hunt and peck my way through on Windows 95. Uh, That's great. And would have it, my dad would make Xerox copies of it in his, office because you know we didn't have a copy machine or really any sort of thing like that back in 1997 or whatever year this was (laughs) and i would distribute them to in the uh, milk carton cubbies milk carton mailboxes in my classmates cubbies uh in, in in hindsight like i said that should have been a sign that I was uh, I that's, was heading that's down. This incredible! Path.
1: Like every teacher looked at you and said, "Oh, that's just Jared.
2: That's what Jared does." Right? That's I was amazing. just that weird kid that wanted to type stuff up. Yeah. So <laughs> when I got into high school, then it became clear that this was sort of going to be my path. Uh, you know, I was sports editor of my high school paper. I worked covering high school sports um, when I was, you know, a freshman sophomore in high school, covering the local high school team for my a weekly paper in the town they grew up in, in uh, New York. And I went to college, went to Syracuse. When I got to Syracuse, um, I at first was sort of unclear what path I was going to take, whether that was going to be uh, as a writer or was I going to go into broadcasting. And I kind of tried my hand at both my freshman year, uh, worked at the newspaper, the Daily Orange, worked at the radio station, W-A-E-R. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I didn't know where I was going to go at that point, but, uh, as I was doing both the opportunities started really presenting themselves, the newspaper quickly. And I took that as a sign as, okay, I guess this is, uh, this is going to be the thing I'm going to pursue and, uh, became sports editor of the daily orange, uh, ended up having a bunch of internships in high school, uh, sorry, in college and after college. And then, ultimately got hired at the wall street journal about you know, six months or so after I graduated from Syracuse and I started there in January of 2011, I was just, just shy of my 23rd birthday oh, when wow. I started with the journal. So it's been a crazy, it, it was, it was a very fortunate break that I, I ended up at the only place I've ever had, worked at so quickly.
1: Huh. And, and I mean, what is the process of you getting that first gig and what did they have you do initially?
2: Yeah, it's it's a crazy story. I think every one who gets a job has some crazy story about all the twists and turns it took to land it. Uh, maybe right. not right now. It's Probably much easier to get a job uh, right now in twenty twenty two one than it was <laughs> in twenty. than when I was graduating college in twenty ten, right in, right during the recession. I guess now everyone there's a lot more jobs now. I guess maybe not in journalism, yeah. but. There, are, there seems to be a, a, a better market for uh, job seekers than it was in 2010. But so I, uh, the story starts actually in the summer of 2009. I had just finished my junior year at Syracuse. an internship at MLB.com, which at the time had an incredible internship program. It, it no longer exists, at least in the form that it did then. Uh, and what the internship program was at that time was, The company just hired 30 interns, one to each team, and you would just serve basically as a a second beat writer, working alongside the actual beat writer. Not on the road. I I, I didn't travel, but for all the home games. So it it, it was Brian Hoke, who's still the Yankee beat writer at com. He was sort of my my boss, you could say, or at least my sort of mentor. And I sort of helped him out that summer. Uh, And it was my first time covering professional baseball my first time in a in a baseball clubhouse and I was terrified I didn't know what I was doing
1: yeah of course
2: uh, you know I'm, I'm I'm 21 years old or 20 years old or whatever I am I'm surrounded by players that I grew up watching uh you know this is 2009 so Derek Jeter's on the team and Mariano Rivera's on the team Jorge Posada's I think was on the team yeah. as well um, all these guys that I grew up watching win championships. And it was, I was intimidated. I, I can't lie. I was a bit starstruck. I didn't feel comfortable. Uh, and that is relevant to the story because there was someone else in the clubhouse, uh, another journalist, a guy by the name of Bill Eikenberger um, who at the time worked for the sporting news. I knew nothing about him, but he took a, he took a liking to me or at least, uh, sort of was helping me out uh, when he could tell that I was clearly nervous and uncomfortable. He would sort of take me by the hand and say, I we're you know, I'm going to help you get through this." Here's he would just sort of help me navigate the clubhouse, and, and very few people yeah. did. Um, most, and I understand this: the professionals, the full, the longtime veterans in the clubhouse, other writers, they would generally ignore me. Uh, some were closer to hostile to me not hostile but not very friendly not very welcoming uh which uh, Mm -hmm. i'm not surprised uh i don't think it was good but it's just sort of natural i think they just sort of it's easy to overlook the the 21 year old intern in the room but not bill and bill was always very kind to me and he and i bumped into each other a few times over the next year i saw him again in madison square garden uh, you know a little bit later when i was covering the nba draft for the Daily Orange, uh when Johnny Flynn, remember Johnny Flynn? He sure. uh, got he got drafted. I covered him, uh, his junior, his best year at Syracuse. He get drafted six overall. Ended up not having a good NBA career. But I saw Bill there. Saw him in some other things. Saw him at Mass Square Garden, covering Syracuse basketball, whatever it was. Anyway, fast forward. It's now. I graduated. I'm I'm working as an intern at the Virginian Pilot, which is the newspaper in Norfolk, Virginia. I swear this story is going somewhere. It has <laughs> a good ending, and I'm covering AAA baseball, the AAA Norfolk Tides, the AAA affiliate of the Orioles. Um, very interesting team, by the way. That team included Zach Britton uh, was on the team. Jake Arrieta was on oh, wow. the team, uh, and also Chris Tillman and uh, there's another pitcher i forget who but there was this this great pitching staff that the orioles are very optimistic about at the time and really none of them panned out for the orioles hey Except hey Brit- chris, britain britain chris tillman had a little.
1: 16 win season
2: yeah chris tillman Yeah, Arietta being great when you left baltimore it was, it was actually a fascinating time to be covering uh, the Oriole organization regardless so anyway, uh <laughs> At the end of that internship, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. The pilot didn't have an opening to hire me. I really wanted to move back uh, up here to where I live, where my family is, where my then-girlfriend, now-wife, was working. Uh, it was going you know, to be in New and, York.
1: And this yeah, um, New York, for everybody listening, yeah.
2: I, I, yeah, I live in New Jersey, but the New York area. Um,
1: I'll
2: give it to you. Yes. And I, saw, I happened to stumble upon a story in the New York Post this is around September, October, you know, the internship's a few weeks later from ending. And it mentioned how the Wall Street Journal was starting this new New York sports venture and they had just hired the editor for it. And lo and behold, it's Bill. Bill's the editor. Whoever would have thought. Uh, it turns out that Bill had this much greater career than I was aware of at the time. Uh, so I decided I'm going to send this guy a cold email and say, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but uh, you were very nice to me once, and I saw you got this great job and whatever. It was probably a very awkward email, and I expected him to ignore it. But lo and behold, he writes back and says, oh, of course I remember you. And oh, by the way, we actually have a a job opening right now that might suit you. So why don't you come in and meet my boss? And a couple of weeks later, I'm in the Wall Street Journal office, and – uh, I got the job and that's incredible. The, the job was for a news assistant or I think the title is reporting assistant, uh, which basically is a glorified intern who gets paid like a glorified intern and does the work that no one else wants to do. Uh, but I wasn't going to say no. It was a full-time job at the Wall Street Journal. I was 22 years old. And uh, that was my first step into what became the job I have now.
1: That That's amazing. And I mean... It it solidifies a lot of things I think a lot of people think of as it's often who, you know, but also putting yourself in a situation to know people in the first place. Right. You did jump on these opportunities that you had. Right. You you uh, you worked at the pilot. You did the MLB internship. You were able to meet Bill in the first place and then you were reading the post and you had to find the thing. It's not as if you just kind of sat in your hands and this kind of was given to you. You saw these chances. You put yourself out there, and you you eventually you found this thing.
2: Yeah, I think How the well. the lesson that I always when I tell this story, which I often do to aspiring journalists, uh, who I, I often get asked, "How would you get your job?" And to me, the lesson, the big takeaway is, you never know who is going to be the person in your life who's going to be that incredible connection that ends up giving you your big break. Right. so treat so treat everybody like he or she is that person yeah right treat everybody you meet like somebody who could ultimately uh, give you your dream job because uh, I never would have imagined that it would have been bill but it turned out to be and there's luck involved I also want to believe that part of it was that I made sure to stay in touch and I like, keep that relationship sure, yeah. going and yeah I think that's just very important it just I think speaks to the importance of Follow through and following up and finding excuses to talk to, to stay in touch with people that could help you down the road.
1: Definitely. Uh, Justin Mason puts this as uh, you never know who's going to be your boss.
2: Right. Uh, Exactly. Which is, yes.
1: Which is a lot of the same sentiments, exactly what you're saying. Uh, I am really curious because I had this experience a little bit myself in February of 2020, right when I thought, Oh man, I'm just getting press passes now, and I'm able to go into spring training and talk to Jameson Tyone and Matthew Boyd. And this is what I'm going to do in 2020. I'm going to go to MLB clubhouses and meet players. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, I remember this day where it was it was fast and me going to meet Matthew Boyd, and I, I I've said this a couple times. Um, fast, uh, his face uh, contorts when I mention it. I couldn't resist, Jared. I had this opportunity. Um, and we we had this really nice interview with Matthew Boyd. If you want to hear it, it's on our Talking Pitching podcast. It's about fifteen minutes or so. Um, and at the very end, Matthew Boyd, one of the sweetest guys, really nice. I couldn't I couldn't hold back. I had this opportunity. He so said, "I just want to let you know, we're big fans. We call ourselves Boyd Boys." And <laughs> Matt gave a. Okay, you know, and then went away. And um, fast will never let me. Um, you know, that one never, yeah, exactly. He'll never forgive me. But the the real the real reason I'm bringing this up is Eno Saris that day joined us um, when we said you know the day before like hey we're going to do this thing he goes oh yeah I need to talk to boy two is okay if I come like are you joking? And Eno brought us in and kind of showed us the ropes like you're talking about with Bill. I'm just saying, cool. This is how you do this. This is where you. Um, you know, where you go, how you handle yourself, how you, um, you know, even give us feedback of how we talked to to Boyd and how we could maybe ask some different questions next time to get a different angle. Or if he opens up about this, it's a really good thing. You could ask that direction. Um, Incredible. And that kind of experience, you you know, it's so important to have someone like that that is able to, you know, put you under their wing. And it sounded like that was Bill for you.
2: Yeah, you don't forget people like that. And that actually makes you think of a a story a bit a bit unrelated but on the same general topic uh when i eventually got put on the baseball beat at the journal you know i'm the national baseball writer now and have been for a while but when i first started my first job covering baseball the journal was covering the mets mm-hmm. and i did that for about three years three to f- three and a half um the first season was 2013 and i uh, went to my first spring training in port st Lucie. i'm in the clubhouse and yeah, I had been in a baseball clubhouse before at that internship, but this was very different. Right now, I'm I'm alone. I'm on the beat. It's my beat. I have no safety net. And again, I'm totally overwhelmed. I'm not comfortable and did not know what I was doing. Right, uh, And I, I remember sometime halfway through spring training, not, maybe not halfway through, maybe two weeks in, uh, a player... Uh, who happened to be Latroy Hawkins, a pitcher? It's always the pitchers; they're very nice. Yeah, they're the uh, best ones, aren't they, Jared? Exactly. <laughs> Latroy Hawkins. He had just signed with the Mets uh, that off season. He was, you know, forty. I think he was just he was just shy of his 40th birthday. He, he'd been in the big leagues for a thousand years already at that point. Yeah, it feels like Latroy Hawkins has been forty forever, right? Right. Well, he pitched in the big leagues for twenty one years. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, so he he calls me over to his locker. And he goes, Hey, he goes, are you new? And I said, <laughs> I said, is it really that obvious? And he's like, yeah, like you just look kind of terrified. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of am. And I had no idea where this conversation was going because this, you know, this guy is super veteran, right? He, right? He's 40 years old. The guy had pitched in like literally close to a thousand major league games at that point. Uh, about over 900 I think at that point in his career and he he's like don't worry man it's gonna be fine like I'm gonna help you through this I've been this is like amazing. my 100th season I've seen every single baseball writer ever come through clubhouse like you're gonna be fine he would he basically walked me around the clubhouse I was like and this is this person and this is this person like you this you know everyone's gonna everyone's gonna treat you well now and I was like amazing totally 100% on his own, don't know what inspired him to do it. Uh, LaTroy Hawkins remained one of my favorite people in baseball. And I've come to learn, I learned actually very quickly that a lot of people have LaTroy Hawkins stories. He is, he's actually one of the most like beloved people in all of baseball. And anytime I tell this story to someone in baseball, they have their own, like, well, let me tell you, they have their own LaTroy Hawkins story, which uh, that says a lot about a guy. Especially yeah. in, in, the, in the baseball world when everyone has nothing but amazing things to say about you.
1: That, that's, that's so great. I mean, there's nothing more that you want in that moment. And you're not even thinking that it's going to be a player. It's going to be, you know you, you know, you think it's going to be one of your other uh, beat writers or someone else. And all of a sudden, the player that you're terrified of is like, hey, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not. I'm actually here that's going to help you. That's, that's absolutely wonderful.
2: But I was saying that I still talk to the Troy all the time and he's, he's great. And he's, he actually had a great season for the Mets that year, which is super weird. He did. He pitched in 72 games as he already, was under three. And uh, he actually went on to based on that season. He signed like a multi-year contract after it. Like he was 40 years old. No, it was only a one year deal, but he signed for like two and a half million dollars. The next yeah, at year in age, Colorado. That's unreal. Yeah, it was crazy. Like it was really shocking. So he's kind of ageless, and he's 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 great. And I'm I I owe him a lot for me getting so sort of comfortable in that room.
1: Definitely. I mean, these are the kind of stories that you want to hear. You just want to believe that all, you know, every player and everyone that you've watched are truly the good people that you want them to be. Yeah.
2: And they're not all like that. I'm not going to tell any stories about the bad ones here, but. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. I mean, of course, there's, you know, maybe in private, I could tell you about some of the bad ones, but they're not all like that, of course. Mm -hmm. But more are, more are than aren't, honestly. Most, most people and most of the the people you mean, baseball. They're good guys or, you know, they're certainly not not good guys for sure. Yeah. So I
1: so I want to go back a little to, you know, you you obviously have a lot of experience with this and I kind of want to pinpoint a little if if we have a new scenario, someone else is joining the clubhouse today and you, Jared, have to take the role of the Troy or or Bill here. What is the first thing that you're going to say somebody that has no idea what they're doing in that clubhouse? Hmm.
2: Uh, just remember that these people, these players are just people. They're just people like you. And while they might make more money and why, why, while they might be famous, they really are no different than you. And while it seems like you're at the bottom of the power dynamic sort of calculation, yeah, uh, you're not, and you are equals and remember that and treat yourself, treat it's treat that relationship as one where you are, where you are equals. Uh, it's hard to remember that because again, these guys do make so much money and they sometimes do like to act as if they have uh, power over you, but they don't. Uh, so that's the number. So that's like, that's the biggest thing. It's just remember that they're just people treat them like people and they'll treat you like people. You know, I think,
1: I think that's great just in general. I mean, even if you're not going into clubhouses, there are a lot of times that you can thrust yourself into a situation where you feel out of place or that you, you shouldn't be there. You know, I certainly get an imposter syndrome all the time. And just to remind, yeah, with everything that you do in life that you are a human and you're going to be talking to another human. And that's, there's nothing different going on here. Um, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that, that certainly is very helpful. Um, I'm still going to stare at them with, uh, I don't know, with incredible eyes and just, I can see their capes flapping even if they're not wearing them to me.
2: For sure. But like, remember too, like as a, someone doing, asking questions, right? There's two, I mean, I, this is, I don't want to make this sort of my journalism class. They could sign up for it if they want to do Yeah, but guys, like, go to Manhattan College of Bronx yeah, uh, sign yes, for Jared it, Diamond, please. Exactly. But <laughs> no, look, there, one, one people like talking about themselves. That's number one. Sure. but more importantly than that even, people love talking about things that they are passionate about. Uh, so keep so remember that your job is not to show Matthew Boyd how much you know about pitching. In
0: right. fact,
2: it's the opposite. Uh, one of my biggest techniques is not it te- it's not a tactic, it's genuine, but an approach I so often take, I just go up to these players and I'm like, hey, I know nothing about what you do, but I really want to know more about it. So can't, what, can you tell, you know, what can you tell me about it? And to me, that is such a better approach than there's a lot of people that go in these clubhouses. And I see them all the time and they, and they do terribly where mm-hmm. it's as if they just want to show, they just want to show these guys how much they know about baseball. And it's like, you don't know even one 50th of what right. they know about baseball. So it doesn't make you a fraud to acknowledge that. And in fact, I think the players tend to appreciate that. And they're, they love talking about this thing that they're so knowledgeable and passionate about and sort of teach you with your genuine curiosity to give you a little insight into what they do. But people, so, people love that.
1: So a question I have about that is... Um... I can imagine you know, approaching these scenarios where, I mean, there are different camps, obviously, of, of reporting, too. Um, I think we've talked about this a bit um, before, where you know the stories you do for Wall Street Journal, for example, have to be more on the national scale and broader. Um, and which means, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, that um, sometimes you do want to be very specific about, um, you know, really go deep into statistics or maybe just one more niche area and you don't really get the opportunity to to do that. And what that generally means, you know, a lot of these, uh, the writers in those clubhouses have broader topics to discuss, which creates a a situation where the player assumes maybe, I don't know that um, the person they're talking to doesn't really understand the technicalities or the little things and that the player isn't supposed to talk in that language for them. Um, is there any sort of uh, reasoning to saying, "Hey, I know about your, uh, you know how your swing path and everything that you've been studying too, to kind of so- showcase"? Hey, talk in that language because that's what I want to hear. Is that part of the tactics for you, or are you just kind of like, you know what, whatever you want to talk to me about? Just please, I want to hear all of it.
2: No, no, no. Of course, like the fact that look, I, I think the fact that you understand. You specifically understand uh, sort of the nuances of pitching and modern pitching theory. That's only a good thing. I mean, it allows you, I think, to ask specific and smart questions, right? Probably smarter more specific questions than I could um, about. Well, pitching. that's not no no
1: no. And, no, no. Uh, <laughs> no need for any of this preface here, Jared. No
2: no no. But look, it's true though. You, you're able to sort of uh, people like you or people like you know people that are sort of coming in to sort of talk about sort of something very specific mm-hmm. you're able to ask you're able to ask these specific questions i think make it clear that uh you're talking their language and i think just that way you go about it right it's not about doing it to like impress them it just what you're exactly what you just said is that you just want them to know that hey like uh this is what my base of knowledge is and I really want to get this granular with you, or this specific. And I and Got I really it. want to talk about like, hey, your grip on your slider, right? Or, right. You know these things that most journalists, including myself, don't not don't care about. But I'm fascinated by it, but it's not something I'd ever write about. It's of no interest to Wall Street Journal readers at large, right? I mean, I'm writing for a very broad national audience, and my stories have to reflect that you're writing for a very sort of smaller self-selected group of people that are nerdy about pitching so your question should reflect the people you're trying to serve which for the two of us are very different groups
1: yeah you're making a really good point about it's not necessarily the the words it's about how you approach it and how it's about hey it's not about me flexing the stuff i know it's more about hey i want to hear your thoughts and like Please, it's not, not not about impressing the heroes that, you know, it's it, that's the absolute opposite of what this needs to be. Right. You're you
2: trying to learn equals. more about what they yeah, do. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Cool. I uh, So so I want to go more into this because obviously you had to have a lot of these questions um, as you wrote uh, Swing Kings. And I want to kind of talk about that a bit. Just where did that start? You know, what was the um, the, the impetus that said, you know what, this is what I'm going to write about. I know sometimes it goes from one way or another. That is some cases like, Hey, I have this idea. I want to write a book. I have to find someone that wants to put it out. Other times it's, Hey, Jared, you're smart and awesome. And you should have a book. Like we want a book from you, you know, let us know what it's going to be. Talk to us later. How did that come to start?
2: Sort of neither of those two things, <laughs> uh, but but a little closer to the second. Um, in spring training of 2017, which is actually my first spring training on the national beat. Um, I wrote a story. This was in March about uh, some of the sort of independent hitting gurus that had worked with and had great success, success with some star players, guys who had turned around their careers and attributed that turnaround to working with a couple of obscure independent coaches. And I found this topic, Uh, immediately fascinating because I didn't understand it. I Mm. couldn't quite fathom, wrap my head around the idea that uh, Josh Donaldson and J.D. Martinez and Justin Turner, those were just the big three names at the time, uh, had gone from essentially professional baseball cast-offs to MVP caliber players because they worked with guys that never played, coached managed worked in any capacity in professional baseball right I didn't I didn't understand that I still only kind of understand it to be honest because it, in my mind which I'm sure many people would say is well if there's better coaches than the people that are major league hitting coaches why aren't those people the major league hitting coaches it just sure. it just baffled me I couldn't yeah I couldn't understand it so I wrote the story about it and it was a story I really wanted to do it was like when I it was my first spring train, in the National beat, and this story was like at the top of my list because I was just so intrigued by guys like Donaldson and Martinez and Turner, Turner who I knew very well. And, um, and you got this from, the from
1: Turner. Turner, paper said, "Oh yeah, I worked with this guy." Is that what kind of? So
2: it sort of, it, not exactly. Donaldson was actually the first person that I had heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, no, let me take that back. The first person I ever doing this was Marlon Bird, who actually was on the Mets in 2013. Again, my first hmm. year on the Mets Pete. Had a great season for the Mets, ended up getting traded to Pittsburgh. Uh, ended up hitting a, having a very good postseason, or you know, had some success with Pittsburgh in the postseason um, that year. The Mets, the big prospect the Mets acquired for Marlon Bird was a guy named Dilson Herrera, who uh, turned out not to be. Uh, much of anything, and never really panned out at all. Don't know what he, you no know, not really sure what he's up to these days. That he he did not succeed, but he was supposed to be a big deal when the Mets traded for him. Anyway, right. um, so when all season long, uh, I and others were trying to get Bird to sort of like explain like what was going on, like how was he doing this, you know, if it were not PEDs, uh, as we know he ha- he was actually suspended for PEDs twice in his career. Um, eventually sort of lets the cat out of the bag that he had worked with this guy, this independent hitting coach. Uh, Justin Turner was on the Mets. That year, Marlon Byrd ends up turning Justin Turner onto this guy. Turner gets cut by the Mets, ends up signing with the Dodgers on a minor league deal. We know what happened there. Uh, meanwhile, in 2015, we're at the, I'm at the Home Run Derby at the All-Star Game. It's in Cincinnati, I believe. Is that the Josh Frazier year? Yes, exactly. Josh Donaldson in the home run derby. Josh Donaldson says he's going to have this guy named Bobby Tewksbury be his batting practice pitcher. Uh, Hmm. Who's Bobby Tewksbury? He's not a coach for the blue Jays, which is sort of the typical person. He wasn't his dad or his high school coach or a family member. It was just a guy who was this guy. Well, it turned out he was this independent hitting coach out of New Hampshire that Donaldson had worked with and turned to help turn his career around. Donaldson went on to win MVP, uh, in 2015, uh, with Toronto. So that's how I started first hearing about the topic. So I write the story, JD Martinez as well. Talks about eventually talks, you know, about his, his journey, uh, after getting cut by Houston and, and signing with Detroit, whatever else turning into one of the best hitters in the game. So, uh, I write the story, uh, I was pretty proud of it. Literally, the day the story ran into the paper, I got an email from uh, Lauren, my now agent, saying, uh, I loved your story. This should be a book. Your story should be a book. And I really want to meet with you. Like, can we get a drink so we could talk about this? And I said, sure. I had actually gotten other emails like this before and actually taken other meetings. Uh, mm-hmm. About other stories. Uh, this is what literary agents do: they read newspapers and look for things they think could be turned to books. So I kind of knew what this meeting was going to be because I had taken them before with other people, other stories, and I never, I never pursued uh, sure. any of the other ones.
1: Do, do you remember the other? Reasons. Do you know what the other articles were? Do you remember them?
2: There was a couple, but one that I think really stands out to me. It was a story, and the story how I ended up getting this pitched this story it's a whole long thing, but um, it was a story about this guy named Jeff Zganina, who is a long time I think he, he like 17 seasons in the NFL as a defensive lineman, he won a Super Bowl with uh, St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Uh, the year that I won Super Bowl, where the guy in Tennessee got stopped. Like, oh, yeah, it was like a yard roller. short. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, most
1: yeah. Football you ever hear on this podcast.
2: Yeah. Right, exactly. He was on that team. <laughs> and after retiring from the NFL, this guy was a defensive tackle. He was like, you know, gigantic human being, you know? Right, yeah. This guy was like 290 pounds in his playing right. career, all muscle. He got oddly into competitive dog shows. Uh, okay. like, you know, Westminster dog show kind of thing, uh, which was so odd. So I ended up going to, with him, he, I got in touch with him and he invited me to go with him to a dog show in a place called Alexandria, Louisiana, which legitimately the middle of nowhere. I mean, this is like, right, right. This is not like new Orleans or Baton Rouge. This is like no. Louisiana. You know, we're like, yep, we're in the middle of nowhere here. And I, and I wrote a story about it and I got pitched a book about, um, not about him exactly, but if you remember, uh, I don't know, like there's a book some of your listeners might know called Word Freak, which okay. is a really great book from 2001 about a competitive Scrabble. And mm-hmm. this guy sort of embedded himself in the competitive Scrabble world and wrote a great book about it. And that was how this book was pitched to me, but about like the dog show world, which is a very weird sort of it subculture. Sounds great, Jared. Honestly, I would absolutely it, read that. So, so would no, It was a good idea for a book. Like, and and Jeff would have been a big part of it because he was like this because he was sort of positioned as this like dog show outsider, right? Because he used to play right. in a hotel and he, he didn't even own a dog until he was like <laughs> forty years old, and like yeah. he was just didn't fit in. So he was like this great proxy as an outsider into this world. So I was considering it, and I ended up talking about it to a, my former boss, who's written a couple of books. And uh, his name is Sam Walker. He actually wrote a book called Fantasy Lands For those of you who are into fantasy baseball, it's like the best fantasy baseball book ever. Um, it's a book about him, and he got he, he wanted. The premise was, could he win Tout Wars? Right, yeah. If he, but he, he, with no knowledge of fantasy baseball, but he has clubhouse access and the ability to talk to the actual players, et cetera. Would he be able to win Tout Wars? No, the answer was no. Spoiler alert, it did not help. (laughs) But it's a a great book. Anyway, what he told me was, look, if you're going to write a book, make sure that this is the story that you love. Because right, yeah. you're going to devote years of your life to it. And by the end of it, you might hate it. And if this is not a story that you are so passionate about, that you're willing to think about it every day for multiple years, don't do it. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't care enough about dog shows. Um, that's why <laughs> I didn't do it. So anyway, but, yeah. So it's a good idea, though. Someone should do it. Right. It's willing to be me. So, so, so let's bring this back here. You, yeah, you get yeah, so meeting with Lauren. I, I meet with Lauren and I knew I wanted to do the book five minutes into the meeting because mm-hmm. she was so enthusiastic and said such an incredible vision for what the book was going to be. And I was just like, yes, that is a great idea. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> this could be a book, And right. uh, great. I signed with her. We started doing the proposal. Um, the, for those of you who don't know, which is probably most of you, a book proposal. So for for fiction, if you're writing fiction, you have to actually write the entire book, right? And then you ship it around, and you have to hope someone buys it. Fiction's brutal. For nonfiction, uh, which is only thing I would do, you you have to write a proposal, which is a very long document with information about what you plan to pursue and, and, and how you'll you'll report it and the, your ability to report it and the access you'll have and stuff about you. And there's usually like a sample chapter and like an outline. It's like a whole thing. It's a very long document. Sure. It uh, takes months and months and months and months to put together. Uh, Lauren helped me a lot. And uh, we ended up uh, selling the book in January of 2018. It was, we sold it like, it was a very crazy couple of days. Uh, My 30th birthday was a day or, I think one day before I sold the book. Oh my God. One or two days. Uh, Way to bring in the 30s, huh? Yes. And I also had tickets to Springsteen on Broadway that night. So it was a very, (laughs) uh, it was a very good day. Um, Yeah, that was really funny. So, uh, and that was the beginning of the, of the process. Uh, Hmm. Then it'd be, then I had about, uh, so I sold it in January of eighteen. The first uh, pass at the manuscript was due in June of twenty nineteen. So I had, I had just shy of eighteen months.
1: And I remember, it. I remember talking to you. I guess it would have been October of twenty nineteen. It was at Ian's wedding. Uh, so I you were
2: in had... the middle of this. No, the wedding was in. No, that was. It was October twenty eighteen.
1: Right, right. That's what I'm saying. So you had, yes. you had the. Yeah, so I was so right, part so way half, through. Exactly, and you're talking. I mean, you felt. I, I mean, this is completely. I'm trying to remember three years ago here, but you felt pretty good at this point. And I remember you pitching it to me and telling me what it was. I was just like, "This is, this sounds yeah. fantastic." By
2: October 2018, um, I, I, I had a lot of reporting already. A right. Lot. So I knew that. So you know, at the very beginning, I remember in if you in February of twenty eighteen, my, my wife who just walked in uh, could vouch for this. I was about to go to spring training. I was in. Mm-hmm. We were visiting a friend uh, who lives in Maryland, outside of DC, and I was flying like the next day from Dulles to Phoenix, I think, for spring training. And I was going to start. You know, that was where I was going to start doing the reporting in addition to my normal journal work. Right. And I was scared. I was terrified. I was like, what did I get myself into? How, like, what if the people I need to talk to don't want to talk? Like they, they flake on me. What if they don't want to participate anymore? What if, how am I Is re- there really enough to say about this topic? I was so freaked out. Um, but by the end of that spring, I was like, no, 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 this is going to be okay. And by October of 2018, I was like, Oh, I actually have more than I'm ever going to be able to put into the book, which right. is a good place, which is a good oh, place absolutely. to be. Um, so probably by October of 18, I was really starting to like figure out how to start writing, like start writing the thing. I, I don't know mm-hmm. when I exactly started writing. It. it was probably not too far away from that. When I started like taking the reporting and putting it on the page.
1: So, so this whole process though, right? I mean, you have multiple, multiple drafts that you do. And so ju- the July 19th is the final submission. Then, the, then that gives enough time for everybody to put everything together. the, uh, and really have it ready and have the whole marketing push for, for the end of
2: March? Well, not quite. That was that first draft, I mean, it changed a lot. That first sure. pass, the manuscript, and that goes to your, the editor who yep. at that point I was working with. And we made a lot, I mean, we made a lot. Of, he, of course, tons of changes, right? Of I course. Mean, well, uh, I'm
1: saying July 2019. Is that the, just the first draft?
2: Yeah, yeah that was the first. Was oh, that's June just the first draft. Well, yeah, okay. it was the first draft that, not my first draft that I wrote, but the first sure. draft that, was submitted formally, mm-hmm. right. Um, for review for okay. You know, I had right. made change. I had done a lot of editing myself, but it was all just on my computer. <laughs> yeah, now yeah, it's course. like, you're going to read the, I'm sending it. You send, you, you do that knowing that it's going to be changed a lot. Like right, right, right. there was no intention that was going to be the final version. But what was interesting is like how much the structure changed. Like mm. there's stuff from in that first pass, that, like, you know, was that the stuff at the beginning got put at the end, stuff at the end got put at the beginning. It was really funny. Like, and I was, I remember when I was just starting, one of the big pieces of advice my agent gave to me was she said, I work with journalists a lot, and they always make the same mistake, which is they're so used to writing for newspaper in journalistic style where you have to put all the key information at the top right at the beginning. All the good stuff goes right at the beginning. Right. Right. What right. you do in journalism? You don't, you you don't, all the, all the, the less important stuff goes to the bottom. The most important stuff goes at to the top. It's people that you, that's how people read newspapers, right? They sort of skim yeah. the first couple paragraphs. And if it's interesting, they'll keep going. Otherwise they move on. So she said, but for a book, people are committing to reading the whole thing. So you have to think of it more as like a narrative, like a movie. And, you don't want to give away the ending at the beginning. So I keep that in mind. I'm like, okay, remember that you got like you has gotta be like twists at the end. Like it's not sure. Just yeah. book. Anyway, I thought I had succeeded. Nope. I according yeah, <laughs> to my editor still way too much. So like the end at the beginning. So we had to like do what we, you know, a par- paragraph chapter 11 became chapter three and, Chapter four Mm. became chapter 10. Oh my God. Um, So so you're looking like Charlie
1: from Always Sunny in Philadelphia with all these flashcards on a wall with string attached to them and everything.
2: Lots of changes, you know, also, you know, the Dodgers ended up going to the world series. Uh, The Dodgers were a big part of the book that a lot of the people involved were were Dodgers or Dodgers adjacent. and that made some changes to that. So we went through a bunch of drafts and we finally put it to bed around i don't know october november probably well it must have been november it it was right after the world series i was able to put in like a last little bit about how the dodgers went to the world series um in it must what year was it i don't know Uh, 2019 yeah did they go to the world Series 19 no uh yes and then no no no. they didn't it was 2000 against uh, the Nationals and Houston
1: 2019 2018 yeah. they lost
2: Yeah they lost to Boston. I don't know. I go. forget exactly. <laughs> it, it Dude, they have... won
1: in 2020, but I mean the book was already out. So
2: It must have been it must have been October of 2019. I don't remember what Oh no. I don't
1: They know. lost to the Nationals in the playoffs then.
2: Yeah, no. I forgot what I was trying to add at the last minute. It doesn't matter. The point is we, we wrapped it up in October of, uh, right. Of 2019 was like when it was done. And then, you know, then it becomes, yeah, the marketing actually making the book. It's right. Yeah, of course,
1: all the production. And yeah. And then
2: March, 2020 came out.
1: And, and then, I mean, so when that's done, I mean, are you thinking, you know, next book for you now, or just kind of back to the old thing or, uh, it, it, what, what's that whole process?
2: That's what my agent wants to know <laughs> <laughs> If I'm going to do another one Yeah, I would like to, to do another book uh, At some point I'm not I don't like have an idea right now And I'm not like rushing to do one mm-hmm. at the moment I have plenty of other stuff going on um, I just, you know I, we had, I have eight month old twins Twin boys in my uh, apartment right now So it's a little busy uh, With some personal life stuff In addition to all my jobs So I'm not rushing to do another book right now, but I absolutely like do plan on, on doing one at some right. point. I had a good experience and also selfishly, uh, you know, I want to do one when it's not the first two weeks of a once in a lifetime oh, pandemic.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that's probably something to aim for next yeah, time. Yeah. I'll let people, so. I'll let you know if another one's coming in the
2: next well, two, three. Well, yeah, yeah, this, t- yeah, this time if like I start seeing like articles coming out of China or Saudi Arabia or wherever else saying there's like a mysterious virus going around, I'm going to tell my publisher we gotta we just gotta we gotta yeah we just got to delay that one yeah yeah exactly.
1: I uh, but I uh, so I, I guess kind of my last question here for you um, because I you know I've taken so much of your time already um, is now that you, okay so now you're. You're in The Wall Street Journal, you're doing all this stuff and you've written in your first book, but you know for you, a lot of people in this, there's always kind of another step that people always say like, hey, what's your next thing as I just mentioned another book? For you, you know, you said this was your dream job. I mean, is this uh, for Jared Diamond, uh, is it just yeah, I want to be I want to be 65. I wanna be writing about baseball for Wall Street Journal. Uh, I'm always I'm always so curious to hear, um, as we continue in our careers, uh, if it's like, Hey, no, I found the thing I want to do. Or is it, you know what? Maybe there's that extra thing that I hope to be achieving down the road. I'm kind of curious where you're at with that.
2: Uh, no, I don't, I don't expect to still be covering baseball for my whole career. Um, I love it. I absolutely love covering baseball, but it's, it's, it's challenging from a lifestyle standpoint. I'm sure, sure you, yeah, you can imagine. And also like eventually I'm going to want a new challenge, right? Like, Right. I feel like after nine years carrying baseball, I've gotten pretty okay at it. Like you could always, you're, you're be great better. at it,
1: Jared. But yes. I <laughs>
2: do feel like I've, I do feel like I have a good reputation in the industry. And, you know, especially right now during this labor dispute, I feel like that this is an area where I really, hopefully my abilities could shine. Uh, just, I hope so. That I put so much work into, uh, getting ready for this. So, um, but I don't see this as my forever job. I don't know what the next thing was, would be. I, I love the wall street journal. Um, and the, I love working at the wall Street journal. So the great thing about the wall street journal is that there's so many great opportunities, sure. right? Like to do other stuff in the journal. And, um, I don't know what that's going to be. I don't know when it's going to be. I'm not like looking for an exit ramp by any, no, of course stretch not to the yeah. imagination. Cause I do I absolutely love covering baseball, but I don't see myself covering baseball forever. And I, uh, you know, um, we'll see what opportunities arise in the future. I, I think, hope, I'm sure they'll be interesting and hopefully uh, they allow me to stay at the journal and keep doing like the cool work that the journal does. Cause like, I feel really strongly about the place I work. I love it. I think we do the best journalism uh, in the world. I really believe that. And I love being a part of it. And whether that's me covering baseball or doing something else, uh, hope I can continue to being a part of that team.
1: Well, that, that sounds great. And hopefully eventually does mean that you put out that, uh, <laughs> that dog show book best in showtime is what I'm going to call it. Cause it features the, you Sanders,
2: never know. Maybe I'll, maybe you I'll go know. back to it someday. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but really Jared, I, I can't thank you enough uh, for taking the time with us. And before, before we sign off, I want you to remind everybody, you know, swing Kings uh, and where they can find everything that you do.
2: Well, Swing is available wherever books are sold. It's in paperback now. Um, it's been out in paperback uh, since like April of 2021. Usually it comes out here back a year after the hardcover release. It's also, of course, in all your digital formats, audio formats. Uh, support your local bookstores. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Jared Diamond, J A R E I don't really, you know, to be honest, I don't, I don't tweet all that much besides like my stories. I used to tweet a lot more, um, sure. just more random stuff. I, I realized that made my mental health worse. So yeah, uh, it can do that. It certainly can. So my Twitter now is, is, is mostly just my own stories. Uh, but you know, if you like my work, it's the best place yeah, to definitely uh, reach out to Jared. find it. So,
1: and my very last question, did you do the audio for
2: your audiobook? No, I did not. Uh oh, did not. I'm but, so disappointed. Uh, I would have loved to. I hear think that. no, I think that's better for people now. A, pro- <laughs> a trained a trained professional whose name I do not remember uh, did it. And I heard it sounds good. I mean, I to be honest, I haven't actually listened to the audio version I <laughs> I heard like a sample of it when I had to choose. I I mm-hmm. did get to choose. They were you know, they sent me like four or five people. Oh, wow. And I got to choose. So I heard like a couple samples. but I never actually listened I don't really listen to audiobooks. I know a lot of sure. people love them. My wife loves audiobooks.
1: Um, well, yeah, it goes person to person, but uh, yeah,
2: I wouldn't be able to focus. Like sure. you know, when I when I listen to podcasts too, like I often have to rewind them. Like realize I spaced out for like twenty minutes of the podcast, and I like don't know how they got onto the topic they're talking about. <laughs> but with a book you can't really do that you know right so. yeah
1: absolutely yeah that's why we have to say their names we can't get into the uh he did this he did that you have to say no matthew Boyd did this matthew Boyd did that but anyway jared thank you so much for taking the time remember everybody swing kings um you should definitely go consider that for your holiday shopping also follow jared at jared diamond on twitter and i'll read all of his work at the wall street journal but that's going to do for today's edition of nick pollock and friends so my name is nick pollock and that was my friend jared diamond